Welcome to the Woodridge Baptist Church Podcast. For more information about what's happening in the life of our church, visit our website at www.woodridge.org. Enjoy the podcast. So let's open up to Daniel chapter 7. And while you're doing that, I'm going to invite you to kind of hold your place, or for those of you that have it on your phone in your U version, because that's why you have your phone out, uh, go ahead and get Matthew chapter 26 ready, because we're going to be going there as well. Um, let me, for those of you who haven't been with in this series in Daniel, and we've covered the first six chapters, which in some ways are kind of the easy chapters of this book. Uh, I had a friend say, well, what are you talking about right now at your church? I said, we're in Daniel. And he goes, ooh, so are you going to stop at chapter six? I was like, nah, we're just going to go all the way through. And he's like, you're brave. You're really brave. And here in a second, when we read Daniel seven, you'll know why he said that, because it's just weird. It's weird. But I still think that there's a reason that it's included in Scripture. I think there's something that the Lord wants to speak through it. Even if when you look, and maybe if you're like me, sometimes you read and all the imagery can just overwhelm you at times. That's probably how you're going to feel in Daniel chapter 7. But before we get to it, just a couple of things as a reminder on where we've been. And in Daniel chapter 1 through 6, we see a people that are taken into captivity under the Babylonians. And, and God had spoken to this. He's like, this is what's coming to you. And so imagine being the, the people of God, so to speak, that have walked so far away from God that God says there's judgment that's coming down. And it's coming at the hands of somebody that's not a great guy. It's coming at the hands of a guy named Nebuchadnezzar who was in, in charge of, of the Babylonian empire. This is kind of what you see in chapters one through six. And in the course of this, this is what it means. They're, they're taken out of their land they're taken into a different land. You can imagine, you know, if you wanted to go travel somewhere, you go, that's cool. But if you're being forced out of your land and you're told you're going to learn our language, you're going to learn our culture, you're going to be, you're going to believe the things that we believe. You realize that spiritually speaking, you're at a crossroads with yourself. Because what that means is, is there are times where you're going to be told this is what you're going to do and it does not fit or it isn't in line with the faith that you have. And so you see these big moments where to honor God with their life, some of the heroes of the early parts of this book, like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, absolutely would not bow a knee, though everybody else around them was, because their knee bowing was reserved only for God. They absolutely weren't going to do it. In Daniel chapter 7 through 12, we move away from kind of just the, what are the names of these people, like a Nebuchadnezzar or a Belshazzar, also mentioned in chapters 1 through 6. And instead, he starts to focus on the spiritual forces that are behind all of the evil that you see in the world. It's like one pastor says, everything that you see that is physical and visible behind it, there is something that is invisible that is at work. And Daniel's like, yeah, and I want to speak to that because it's true. In Daniel 1 through 6, we see deliverance out of something like a fiery furnace or deliverance out of a lion's den. But by the time we get to Daniel chapter 12, you see people being delivered from death itself. So with that in mind, here's what I want to do. I want to read Daniel chapter 7, and then let's just see what the Lord wants to teach us today. Does that sound good? Here we go. Buckle up, kids. It's going to be a ride. Here's the way it goes. Earlier, during the first year of King Belshazzar's reign in Babylon, Remember, he's one of those that's coming after Nebuchadnezzar is, is dead. During the first year of King Belshazzar's reign in Babylon, Daniel had a dream and saw visions as he lay in his bed. And he wrote down the dream, and this is what he saw. 
In my vision that night, I, Daniel, saw a great storm turning the surface of the great sea with strong winds blowing from every direction. And then four huge beasts came up out of the water, each different from the others. The first beast was like a lion with eagle's wings. And notice it didn't say it was a lion. It says it's like a lion with eagle's wings. And as I watched, its wings were pulled off and it was left standing with its two hind feet on the ground like a human being. And it was given a human mind. And then I saw a second beast and it looked like a baler bear. And it was rearing up on one side and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And I heard a voice saying to it, get up and devour the flesh of many people. That doesn't sound like a good bear to me. What do you think? Then the third of these strange beasts appeared and it looked like a leopard. It had four bird's wings on its back and it had four heads. Great authority was given to this beast. Then in my vision that night, I saw a fourth beast. This is almost like Scrooge's night. You understand what I'm saying is you're gonna be visited by some stuff before this night's over. Then in my vision that night, I saw a fourth beast, terrifying, dreadful, and very strong. It devoured and crushed its victims with huge iron teeth and trampled their remains beneath its feet. This one reminds me of Jaws from James Bond. Does anybody know who I'm talking about? Yeah, he's got those teeth, right? You didn't want to get near that guy. It was different from the other beasts and it had 10 horns. And as I was looking at the horns, suddenly another small horn appeared among them. Three of the first horns were torn out by the roots to make room for it. Then the little horn had eyes like human eyes and a mouth that was boasting arrogantly. As I watched, as thrones were put into place and the ancient one sat down to judge. So just for a second, is it already strange enough for you yet? So you have rulers and thrones and dominions and you have power. But the Ancient of Days is going to sit on his throne and say, it's my turn. This is what Daniel is saying. You've had your day and your time is up. The Ancient One sits down to judge and his clothing was as white as snow, meaning he's actually pure. His hair is like the purest wool. He sits on a fiery throne with wheels of blazing fire and a river of fire was pouring out, flowing from his presence. You get this imagery here. Judgment is coming. It's coming. Millions of angels ministered to him. Many millions stood to attend him. Then the court began its session and the books were opened up. And that's when everybody around is like, ah, this might not be good. This might not be good. And here's what Daniel says. I continued to watch because I could hear the little horn's boastful speech. And I kept, and by the way, for a second, do you, do you get the, a little bit of mocking here in the text? I see this little horn. It's a horn. It's like a little horn. So what's going on. He said, I kept watch until the fourth beast was killed and its body was destroyed by fire. The other three beasts had their authority taken from them, but they were allowed to live a little while longer. And as my vision continued that night, I saw someone like the son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. And he approached the ancient one and was led into his presence. Now, who do you think that is? And he was given authority and honor and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that the people of every race and nation and language would obey him. 
His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. By the way, that sounds very different from the four kingdoms that were just mentioned that are described with great power, but are gonna fall to the ground. His will never end. And he says, I, Daniel, was troubled by all that I seen and my visions terrified me. That's fair. I mean, I don't know about you, but if this stuff was coming to me in the middle of the night, I would be like, what is going on? So I approached one of those standing beside the throne and I asked him what it all meant. And he explained it to me like this. These four huge beasts represent four kingdoms that arise from the earth. But in the end, the holy people of the most high will be given the kingdom and they will rule forever and ever. In other words, here are kingdoms that seem to have a rule, but God and his people will be given the real rule. What was lost in Genesis chapter three, you know, beginning in Genesis one and two, here's dominion and I entrust this to you. What that means, it's the proper care of all of creation. Here's what they did when they turn in Genesis three and they sin. They take what was entrusted to them and they hand it over to the evil one. And they're like, we're handing this over to you. Well, where do you think that's gonna go? Not well, but in the end, here's what Daniel is saying, but it will be restored. He will take the throne and his people will be there with him. So he says, then I wanted to know the true meaning of the fourth beast, the one so different from the others and so terrifying, it had devoured and crushed its victims with iron teeth and bronze claws, trampling their remains beneath its feet. I also asked about the 10 horns on the fourth beast's head and the little horn that came up afterward and destroyed three of the other horns. And this horn had seemed greater than the others and it had human eyes and a mouth that was boasting arrogantly. Are you getting a theme here about human, 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 human? Keeps coming up. And as I watched, this horn was waging war against God's holy people and defeating them until the ancient one, the most high, came and judged in favor of his holy people. Then, at the time, then the time arrived for the holy people to take over the kingdom. And then he said to me, this fourth beast is the fourth world power that will rule the earth. It'll be different from all the others. It will devour the whole world, trampling and crushing everything in its path. Its 10 horns are 10 kings who will rule that empire. Then another king will arise different from the other 10 who will subdue three of them. He will defy the most high and oppress the holy people of the most high. He will try to change their sacred festivals and laws and they'll be placed under his control for a time, times, and half a time. But notice what it didn't say. It didn't say for all time. It's like, there's gonna be some limits here. So you're gonna see chaos. It's gonna be bad. If you're a follower of God, this is gonna be difficult on you. But there's also gonna come a moment where he says, time's up. Time's up. But then the court will pass judgment and all his power will be taken away and completely destroyed. And then the sovereignty and the power and the greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be given to the holy people of the most high. His kingdom will last forever and all rulers will serve and obey him. This was the end of the vision. I, Daniel, was terrified by my thoughts and my face was pale with fear, but I kept these things to myself. So Daniel gets to the end of his Scrooge night. Notice before Daniel other people were having visions. You remember this? Nebuchadnezzar is having visions. It's like, we need to have somebody that can understand these things. And all of his magi and whatnot couldn't. And so they find Daniel and Daniel can interpret these things. Now Daniel's seeing things. It's a little bit of shift in the paradigm, if you know what I'm saying. Now people have wondered, 
What does all of this mean? I find it interesting in Daniel chapter seven that he says, I don't even know what this means. So I went to one and said, can you explain it to me? And then as you read Daniel chapter seven, guess what? He doesn't tell you what the person said. And you're like, come on, man. So here's what I've decided. When I die and I see Daniel, I'm gonna say, dude, there was another way. <laughs> you know, think about people like me that had to come after you and explain all this stuff to people. Here's, here's, here's kind of where people go with this, all right? I'm gonna speak big picture for a second. And then we're gonna go to Matthew chapter 26 because Jesus actually quotes this passage. And it just gets me wondering, what did Jesus say about Daniel chapter seven? If you look at scholars, here's what they would say. All of this imagery in Daniel chapter seven, don't freak out. It's all about the past. And here's how you can know that is because as you read earlier in Daniel chapters one, two, three, four, five, and six, specifically Daniel chapter two, there was an explicit mention of four different kingdoms. And so um, it's not like you have to figure out who these people are. It says that there was gonna be a succession of four kingdoms. And this was a prophecy to Nebuchadnezzar, as you remember, you're, you're the first one. You're the first one, Babylon's it. And you, you can turn, it doesn't have to be like this, but you're the first kingdom. You know, you're like a lion, you're powerful, but there's one that's gonna come and they're gonna defeat you. And lo and behold, it happened. It already happened. These were the Medo-Persians. You know, the Medo-Persians show up and they defeat the people that are like, nobody can beat the Babylonians. They're like, yeah, well, we can. And they did. They would be like your Baylor Bears if you're borrowing the imagery in Daniel chapter seven. Maybe they beat Texas or somebody. I don't know, whoever Babylon is. But then that's not it because there's a third kingdom that comes after this, which, you know, when you look at, might be something like the Greeks. You think of Alexander the Great. And he had this huge vision that he was going to conquer and take over the entire known world. And just so you know, dude was good at it. He was really good at it. He would conquer people. He would make them learn their language, customs, beliefs, and practices and say, this is just the way it's gonna be. But that sounds a lot like Nebuchadnezzar before him though, right? It's just the way it's gonna be. So some say maybe that's the third kingdom. But then there's this mention of a super beast. That sounds like bad, right? And then there's this super beast. And some have wondered, well, maybe this is a reference to the Assyrians that came even after them because they established a pretty amazing uh, empire. And it's not just that. It's that we know some people that did some things that were really atrocious. You know, Daniel, in, in Daniel chapter seven, you know, talks about people that, that did things that were so evil and so defiling to the people of God. We actually have an example of somebody like that already. His name was Antiochus Epiphanes. Antiochus Epiphanes, for example, he made it illegal to, for the, the people to practice their faith in Jerusalem. He was known for you know, basically getting, uh, you know, gathering the Jews up and torturing them. He forced them to stop the practice of the Passover, one of the most sacred religious times for these people. He goes, yeah, you're not gonna do that anymore. And then he defiles the temple. Literally, he, he goes into the temple. Imagine, think about a most sacred space, a, sa a space that is meant to be set apart and sacred. And, and maybe you don't have like high regard for you know, bovine or something like, or, or, or let's say pigs. And let's imagine that you're Antiochus Epiphanes and you literally chopped the head of a pig off and carried it in and put it on the place where the people would go to worship God before. That's who he was. 
So some have looked at this and said, this imagery isn't like drawn from nothing. There's a ton of history here that we can learn from that Daniel is speaking about to make another point. To make another point. So some think it's all about the past. Some others think that it's all about the future. It's about things that haven't happened yet. And so all of this in Daniel chapter seven is like a prelude. It's a what's happening before the return of Jesus. And you have these 10 nations and that's obviously the European Union and whatnot. You can laugh at that point if you want to. Some said it's the European Union. 10 nations are gonna coalesce, right? And it's all gonna happen in the future. And out of that, an antichrist is going to come and take over the world and Jesus is gonna return and he's gonna beat him and everything is going to be fine. Some interpret it that way. Here's what I did. I went to Matthew 26 and I said, did Jesus say anything about Daniel chapter seven? And the answer is, he did. He did. So it got me thinking, what did he say? Well, I'll read it for you. How does that sound? Let's take a look at verses 57 through 64. And I just wanna set this up for you a little bit so you can understand what's happening. This is the time in Matthew chapter 26 where Jesus is going to be brought before the high priests and the chief priests. You've got the people of Israel around. They have set up a hit on him. Everything that's about to happen, all of his passion, meaning all of his suffering is right in front of him. And it's in this context, Jesus decides to quote Daniel chapter seven. Let's think about it, let's read it. It says, then the people who had arrested Jesus led him to the home of Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of religious law and the elders had gathered. Meanwhile, Peter followed him at a distance. And I love that about Peter. You know, we'll follow because I'm curious, but we gotta be safe. So Peter follows him at a distance and came to the high priest's courtyard. And he went in and he sat with the guards and waited to see how it would all end. Inside, the leading priests and the entire high council were trying to find witnesses who would lie about Jesus so that they could put him to death. Because for a death penalty, you had to have multiple legitimate witnesses for that to happen. Why? Because you're talking about a life. That's why. But even though they found many who agreed to give false witness, they couldn't use anybody's testimony. And finally, two men came forward who declared, this man said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. And then the high priest stood and said to Jesus, well, aren't you gonna answer these charges? Now, by the way, stop for a second. There aren't any charges. It's just somebody said he said something. Well, aren't you gonna answer these charges? What do you have to say for yourself? But Jesus remained silent. And then the high priest said to him, I demand in the name of the living God. And Jesus said, you demanded my name? I'm just kidding, he didn't say that. He said, I demand in the name of the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the son of God. And Jesus said, you've said it. Now that's a pretty good jab, don't you think? You know, is this what you're saying? Well, you just said it, but that's not it. Because he goes on. He says, and in the future, you will see the son of man. Have you heard that before? Yeah, you have. You just heard it in Daniel chapter seven. And this is a reference to God himself. And in the future, you will see the son of man seated in the place of power at God's right hand. Wait, have you heard that before? Because you have, we just read it. And he said, and coming on the clouds of heaven. Now think for just a second about who Jesus is talking with when he says this. Who's he talking to? 
He's talking to the people that are the Bible scholars, really. So all of the imagery that Jesus just points out in Matthew chapter 26, these cats know what he's doing without him explicitly saying it. They know what he's saying. I, I love this example, Tim Mackey, who's a, a Bible scholar. Here, here was an example that he gave that I thought, okay, this one's good. Imagine that you're at a Star Wars convention for a second. And, uh, and I walk up to you and I say, Luke, I am your father. I'm a little raspy today, so deal with it, right? And then I do this deep, right? All right, now, who am I? Yeah, I'm, I'm Darth Vader. Now, here's what I didn't do. Notice what I did. I didn't walk up to you at the Star Wars convention and go, hello, I'm Darth Vader, right? And here's the thing. You can imagine this. For everybody that is at a Star Wars convention, it's because they're Star Wars people, right? They've seen the movies. They know the plot. They know the characters. And all I had to do was walk up and actually say a line and they all go, we know who you are. It's like that in Matthew 26. It's just like that. The son of man, seated and exalted, coming riding on the clouds. And they're like, there's only one that does that. And he goes, you said it. It's like, you got it. That's exactly right. Now, this would be a great moment for them to go, wait, this is great. Because all along what the scripture has been saying, Daniel, 700 years before Christ, all along what the scripture has been saying is that you were gonna show up and you're here. This is awesome. That just didn't how they reacted to it. Instead, what did they do? They had already set the whole thing up. I mean, it's the middle of the night and they've got the council convened for a jury trial that's not supposed to happen at that time of night, drumming up charges so that they can put this guy to death. And they do. They do it. And this is what Jesus is saying. The moment that you sentenced me to death is the very same moment that I'll be vindicated from the beast. The beast that is borrowed from Daniel 7, it's that very moment, and I'll be exalted to the right hand of the Father. They knew exactly what he was saying. All right, so let's get back to Star Wars for a second. Does that sound good? It reminds me of, it reminds me of this moment. It just hit me kind of a minute ago. Do you remember when old Obi-Wan Kenobi in the first one, which was really episode four, right? A New Hope. And you got this young Luke Skywalker and he had started doing some training of him. Well, you fast forward and you've got old Obi-Wan Kenobi fighting Darth Vader. And as they're fighting, Obi-Wan looks over and he sees Luke Skywalker over here, right? But this was the part that he says. He looks at Vader and he says, if you strike me down, I'll become more powerful than you ever could imagine. It's kind of like that. You think that you're defeating me by killing me, but you're defeating yourself. I'm gonna win. I'm going to win. But you have to draw the imagery from Daniel 7 all the way over to Matthew chapter 26 for this to make any sense. Because in Daniel 7, he keeps talking about all these beasts that are out there, right? You remember that? And now here he is in Matthew chapter 26, he goes, we've got a different beast that we're dealing with. 
Who were the people in front of him? Here's what he's saying. He's like, all of you think you're faithful and none of you are faithful. I'm the only one that's faithful. I'm it. It isn't any of you. And they understood this. That also means that the people that are around him that are ready on false charges to kill him, that is the high priests, the chief priests, the elders, the people of Israel, they're all the beast. They're all the beast. He takes all of these symbols from Daniel 7. He goes, yeah, that's not them. That's you. It's you. Jerusalem has become Babylon. It's all of you. So from Jesus' point of view, when he quotes Daniel chapter 7, this is what he's saying. Anybody can become the beast. Anybody can. That's the beast imagery. Think about it. Let's think about an animal for a second. How do animals work? We're talking about beast imagery. I mean, my dog, Duke, the Dark Lord, also known as the beast. I mean, I love that brother. <laughs> He's good people. He's a dog. And how does he work? That dog functions on impulse and instinct. That's the way he works. He is impulse and he is instinct. And I can tell you that at about four o'clock in the afternoon today, what is gonna happen is the dark Lord is either gonna find me, if I'm there, or he's gonna find one of my girls and he is gonna go look at them and then he's gonna walk right over to the door where the food's at. That's what he's gonna do. He is driven by instinct and impulse. And that image is there from Jesus for a reason. is because you can be too. You can be driven by something that is primal, that is impulse and instinct. And when you do, you've just seen the beast that is inside of you. It's there. And sometimes we see it and we go, that is not the better part of me. Is that fair? So when we reject God and we exalt ourselves, we become like the lower animal. It doesn't say you become a lower animal. It says you become like them. Driven by impulse. Driven by your personal desires. Driven by self-preservation. Jesus' own people have become the beast. They were willing to put an innocent man to death. And this is, this is what's happening in Matthew 26. Jesus came to earth to beat the beast. That's why he came. So, so remember it like this. The moment you defeat me is the moment I actually defeat you. I will be exalted to the right hand of the Father. And there's nothing you can do that will stop that. Nothing will stop that. You can kill me, but you can't separate me. That's not gonna happen. So you go, okay, that's really fascinating stuff. So what? So what? And I want to tell you why. We have, we have this picture of what that Matthew 26, and you go forward in Matthew's gospel, all the way to his death, all the way to the cross. Thank God all the way to an empty tomb, all the way. But we get a picture of what that was like for him in Psalm 22. And I'm just going to read a part of it. It says, all all who see me make fun of me. They stick out their tongues and they shake their heads. You relied on the Lord, they say. Why doesn't he save you? If the Lord likes you, why doesn't he help you? Many enemies sur surround me like bulls. 
like fierce bulls from the land of Bashan. They open up their mouths like lions, roaring and they're tearing at me. My strength is gone, gone like water spilled on the ground. My bones are all out of joint. This, this psalm, hundreds and hundreds of years before the crucifixion, gives you a detailed description of Jesus' crucifixion. This is what's interesting. Did you notice the part where he says, like, bulls of Bashan? And if you're not careful, you just kind of go, yep, and you turn the page in your Bible. But you need to slow down because Bashan was the leading center of the worship of Baal. All the false gods and the demons surround me. They were symbolized by bulls and cows. Bulls from the land of Bashan is a reference to the demonic, the powers of darkness and the realm of the dead. And so when you see that and you look at Daniel 7 and you look at Matthew chapter 26, notice in both what happens. It says, all authority and power will be taken from them and they will be given back to God and his people. It'll be given back. So I want you to think about this for this last week. Just think about your life for a second. All right, are you there? Do you have the whole week in mind now that I gave you three seconds? You made some choices this last week, didn't you? I did. Made some choices. Choices, choices. And uh, there's some possibilities on where you went with this. Here's, here's one possibility. One possibility is, is you had something in front of you and it's not like you were sitting there going, I wonder what the right thing to do is. You had this moment where you go, I know what the right thing to do is. But you were so driven by impulse, so driven by desire, so driven by yourself. There's another possibility is that you had choices, choices. And it wasn't like you were wondering what the right thing to do was. You just knew that you were struggling. And instead of being like an animal and giving in to impulse and desire in a moment. You said, please God help, give me strength. Holy Spirit, I need your help. Choices, choices, and we all make them. But the more you give in to impulse, the less human you become. You become the basest part of yourself. And Jesus is here, and this is the part of the story of his death and his resurrection, is to restore you back to what you were meant to be. Daniel 7, for all of its weirdness, invites us to see how the beast has messed us up. And it's messed up creation. Because Jesus is clear. He's here to confront the beast because the beast in you is going to have to die. It's going to have to die. So what does he do? He beats the beast by letting the beast kill him. He literally dies for the beast. That, my friends, is the cross. That's it. That's the so what. 
I would venture to suggest this to you this morning. You probably don't have a friend that would do that for you. Not like that. Not like that. So I wanna give you some time to pray this morning. We do it every week. For as chaotic as your week is and mine, um, sometimes we get to the end of the week and go, I hardly had a time to say anything to the Lord. I want you to say some stuff to the Lord today. Um, I, I came to the Lord a long time ago. I was 11 years old um, when I came to Jesus. And friends, it was actually pretty simple. Uh, what, I, what I saw was that the solution for sin, which I, I knew I had. It's not like I wondered, hey, have I ever done anything wrong? Uh, that was kind of obvious. And my parents were really good about pointing it out too. And my brothers, by the way. <laughs> and my brothers, they were really good at it. This was it. This was the moment I, I saw my actual need. And until I saw my need, there was nowhere for me to go. It had to start there. I need this. But it was actually, it was actually pretty simple after that. Because the only thing that I knew to do to make it right was to say what I had done was wrong. And just to say, would you forgive me? This is, the, this is the beauty of the gospel. It says his grace is sufficient. It's enough. It's what you need. It's what you need. And so for some of you, you're sitting there going, oh, Jeremy, stop it. I mean, I gave my life to Jesus 31 years ago. That's great. Let me ask you this question. How, how much in that life of Jesus are you living right now? Because that's a totally different question. And for some of us, it's not a matter of the fact that we had this moment of confession to him some time ago. It's that somehow we've walked away from it. And we've become the most base part of ourselves again. And as a result, we're not close to him. We don't hear him. We don't sense his presence. We're not, we're not filled with his spirit. We're indwelled, but we're not filled with his spirit because we've been caught up and trapped ourselves in something else. Today can actually be a day where you call it what it is, and maybe like David say, Rejoy to me, restore to me the joy of my salvation. It can be a day just like that. Maybe you need to pray something like that. Maybe when you think about the things we've considered and we've looked at the cross, when's the last time that you just said to Jesus, thank you for your willingness to do that for me? Because he did. But maybe you came in here this morning and you've never had that moment in your life where like me when I was 11, I look at Jesus and I'm like, I just need you. I mean, I, <laughs> I just need you. There is something in me. It's not, it's not just the things that I do. It's the part inside of me that drives me to do the things that I do. I just need a new heart. I just need a new heart. Would you give that to me? The answer in scripture is he will. He will. And he's been waiting for you to ask. What we've hoped and prayed this morning and this week is for anybody that comes into this space and has never confessed Jesus, today would be the day. It would be the day. Your sin is real. But boy, there's so much more to this story than sin, isn't there? There's grace, there's forgiveness, and there's hope. And it's for you. It's for you. And it's still for me. We hope you have enjoyed the podcast. For more information about our church, visit www.woodridge.org.